Good morning. The passage today is from John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. Please read with me. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. If you don't know me, my name is Josh. It's a real honor to be here this morning and preach God's word. It's been uh, encouraging to me this morning how faithful God is to weave his story together when we have a Sunday like this. You'd think everybody that was on here this morning sat in a room at some point and talked it over about what we're going to say or sing or do. And you'd be surprised that we don't. And still God is faithful in how he just speaks with one voice. On a morning like this, it is always overwhelming to me to see how he does that. The topic of the message this morning is Israel's unbelief, the Gentiles' joy. The place we find ourselves this morning is the, at the end of Jesus' public ministry. These verses that we've heard are the last words that John recorded that Jesus spoke publicly. Starting next week, when we get to chapter 13, we will see that Jesus' words are now directed to his 12 disciples. And for four chapters, he's going to only speak to them And then what follows is the high priestly prayer, his betrayal and arrest, and then his crucifixion. The hour has indeed come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what we'll see this morning is that this last public address is rich and filled with God's amazing grace. And so what we will see is this, that God ordained and used Israel's unbelief to include the Gentiles in his plan of salvation. 
Anyone who believes in the light will be saved. Those who do not believe in the light remains in the darkness and judgment awaits them. That's it in a nutshell. It is a privilege and an honor to preach God's word and a great responsibility. May he open our eyes to see the mystery of what's contained in these verses. Let's ask the Lord for his help. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord, thank you for how you have already spoken this morning to us. Thank you for your faithfulness that when we are together, you speak to us. Lord, I pray now that as we approach this passage, that you will, one, help me to speak in a way that is understandable. I pray your spirit will help me. Lord, then I pray that you will open ears to hear, mine and everyone here, to hear your word, to understand your word, and to be amazed by your goodness. Lord, I pray that you will humble our hearts. I pray, Lord, that when we see this passage and we see things that we want to rebel against, that you will keep us quiet and content, knowing that you are an amazing God. So give us humble hearts, Lord. Help us to see your amazing greatness in this passage. We love you, Lord. We cannot understand this if you do not give us the ability. So help us now, we pray. Amen. We're going to have only two main points this morning. If you think it's going to be easy, it's not. Because two main points can have several sub and sub-sub points. I said to Karen, I think what I'm going to do is what Matthew always does. Actually, I decided to break this passage up in six weeks. But then, I'm not going to preach for six weeks, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to make main points, sub-points, and sub-sub-points. But we have only two main points this morning. The first main point is Israel's sad unbelief that we're going to see. And the second point is the Gentiles' joyful inclusion in God's plan of salvation. We start with Israel's sad unbelief. At the end of the passage from last week, we saw this urgent call, urgent appeal from Jesus In verse 35, so John 12, verse 35, if you're there in your Bibles, look with me. It says, the light, Jesus is speaking, he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. A little while longer because Jesus knew he was heading for the cross. He knew that indeed the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So he says, the light has come, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So this was a clear exhortation, a call from Jesus to believe in him, the son of God, the light of the world. Yet the very next verse is where we took off this morning and we saw in, or we see in verse 37, these sad words. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. 
And I say they're sad words because what we see here is that Israel, God's chosen people, rejects God's plan of salvation for them by rejecting Jesus, the Messiah sent to them by the Father. These Jews have heard Jesus speak in the synagogues and in the streets, and they have seen him perform miracle upon miracle, yet though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Seven different miracles has been shown to us so far by John. Jesus turning the water into wine, healing the royal official's son, healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, opening the eyes of the blind man born blind, raising Lazarus from the dead. And so you may ask, so were these miracles supposed to evoke some faith in Jesus? Should seeing them, experiencing these miracles have caused them to believe that he is the son of God? And the answer is yes. And it's a clear yes if we look at John 20 and verse 30, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Interesting to notice that John calls them signs. These miracles, he calls them signs. These miracles are evidences, he's saying, that this person who are performing these miracles, Jesus, is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. These miracles, were, they were not for show. They were not so that people could look at them and say, wow, Jesus is cool, or Jesus is powerful. It's not what they were there for. These miracles were performed so that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we read, and still they did not believe. And it begs the question, right? Why? Why would Israel not believe? And this is where we can make this a series sermon There are many, many reasons why they would not believe, but I want to offer just two reasons this morning why they would not believe. Sub-points. Point number one, why would Israel not believe that Jesus is the Christ? Because they loved darkness rather than light. We saw in John 3 and verse 19, it says, and this is the judgment The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Israel's rejection of Jesus, Israel's rejection of the light was because they loved darkness. They loved their sin and they were not ready or willing to submit to the authority of this light, Jesus. And we can ask, why, why is it? Why is it that they love the darkness? Why is it that man loves darkness? Well, it is because we are sinners. 
And it was because they are sinners, because their sin nature. Remember Romans 5 verse 12. Paul is direct here saying, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. These Jews who did not believe were spiritually dead. And we sometimes call this the depravity of man. It says that people are as a result of the fall Adam and Eve's original sin of rebelling against God, because of that sin, people are not inclined or able to love God with their mind, heart, soul, and strength, but rather our nature is inclined to serve our own purpose, to serve our own will and our own desires, and to reject his righteous rule over our lives. And this was true even for Israel, God's chosen people. Paul says that to us in Romans 3. Read a few different verses. In verse 9 he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. In verse 12, all have turned aside. In verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. In verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is the condition of the unregenerate human heart. And that was the condition of these Jews who did not believe in Jesus. They loved the darkness. They did not seek God. There was no fear of God before their eyes. And so they rejected the light because they loved the darkness. And by rejecting Jesus, they rejected God's plan of salvation. They thought it was sufficient to obey the law, to live morally good lives, But Romans 10 and verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to anyone who believes. And they did not believe. How sad, right? God's chosen people, they chose darkness over light. But here's the thing, church. We are no different than Israel. Every one of us is born into this sinful world and we too are spiritually dead and we love darkness rather than light. And only if God through his Holy Spirit mercifully intervenes and gives us the grace to believe do we ever see Jesus as glorious and sufficient and can we trust him as our savior so that we do not remain in darkness but become sons of light. And so there are only two people, two types of people on all of the earth. Those who walk in darkness, those who walk in light. Non-Christians, Christian. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. And we never assume, right, that everybody that I speak to is a Christian. And we have to ask ourselves, are we walking in darkness like the Jews still? Are we walking in the light? 
And I think we can ask ourselves questions. Maybe you know, maybe you know, yes, I, I definitely am a Christian. I know this. Maybe you know, definitely I'm not a Christian because I have not surrendered my life to Christ. But here are a couple of questions. It's not an exhaustive list, but here's a way that we can gauge for ourselves. Ask yourself, have you placed your faith in Jesus and in his complete work on the cross for salvation? Do you believe that only through faith in Christ is there salvation for you and not through morally good life? Is there evidence in your life of a growing relationship with Jesus? Do you desire to know Jesus more each day and grow in your obedience in his word? Are you fighting sin in your life and asking Jesus to help you overcome it? These are types of questions. These are not an ex- this is not an exhaustive list. These are not all the questions we can ask. But I want to encourage you to ask these kinds of questions of yourself to see if you are walking in the light, then there should be a growing relationship with Christ. There should be a growing fight against sin in your life. And friend, if you realize or if you know that you are not a true believer in Jesus Christ, then know this, that he is still saying to you today, believe in the light while the light is with you. A day is coming when it will be too late, when it will be impossible to turn to Christ and place our faith in Christ. But today there is still an invitation There's still an invitation to repent of your sin, to put your faith in Christ in order to be saved. And so I pray, I pray that if you are not a Christian and if you know that, that you will hear this. That there's a call this morning on your life. Jesus came into this world and he lived a perfectly obedient life. He then willingly went to the cross. On that cross, he took your punishment. He paid the penalty for your sin. And he gave you in return a righteousness before God. And what you have to do to become a son of light, to become a follower of Christ, is to believe that Jesus did that for you. And then to submit your life to him. If you place your trust in him, he says you will be saved. And so I ask you, do not put this off. Jesus is calling you out of darkness and into his marvelous light through his son and faith in him. If you're not a Christian, I beg of you, do not leave here today without placing your faith in Christ. Church, there's a group of people that is addressed in this passage that I think we should also take a, a look at for a moment. Look with me at verse 20, uh, 42. John 12, 42. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
So it seems that the opposition and unbelief of the Jewish leaders was not completely consistent or uniform because here we do see some who believed in Jesus. That's grace in action that we see right there. But their faith seemed to be immature though because of this statement that we see that they did not confess their faith because they were afraid And because they loved the glory that came from man rather than the glory which is of God. And I think John included these verses as a warning to those who say that they are believers but are afraid to confess Christ. Romans 10 verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, And with the mouth one confess and is saved. And so Christian, I have to ask you, how are you doing with this? Is it hard for you to confess your faith in Jesus before others? Are you easily concerned what your co-workers and your friends and your neighbors will think of you and say of you when you speak about your love for Jesus Christ? Are you concerned about the weird Christian label they will slap on you when you speak of your relationship with Christ? Hear this. If you relate to this in any small way, You are not alone. I'm not even sure that there's anyone here this morning who can honestly say, I don't have any trouble with that. Yet, these Jewish leaders are criticized for it, so it is not something that we can become complacent with. Here's the thing, church. It is not going to become easier as time goes on. Uh, Christianity is falling out of favor with the world. And so as time goes on, we will be more and more persecuted as we speak of Christ, our relationship with him, our love for him. And what we will need is boldness and grace from God. And so if you struggle with this like I struggle with this, with fear of men and with the love of the glory and acceptance of men. Church, let us repent together. Let us repent together and ask God to help us to see him more clearly. Because if we see him more clearly, if we see the preeminence of Christ... If we see more clearly the gospel that Jesus came and he suffered and died for our salvation, then and only then will we start to seek more and more the glory which comes from God rather than the glory which comes from men. The glory which comes from men will last for years. The glory which comes from God will last an eternity. And so friends, he is worthy of our glory. He's worthy of our confessing him before men. He said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. 
So I pray that God will help us, that we will not be like these Jewish leaders, believers who are afraid and love the glory of men more than the glory of God. Oh, may it be be said of us that we love the glory of God and therefore we gladly confess Christ wherever we are. May it be so. May God help us. The first reason I said that Israel did not believe in Jesus was because they loved darkness more than they loved the light. Here's a second reason why they did not believe in Jesus. Because God planned their unbelief. Read with me from verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that, keywords, the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what, we heard from, what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Startling words, right? These verses, first from Isaiah 53 verse 1, that's the first quote, and then Isaiah 6 verse 10, that's the second quote, makes it clear that one, the Jews' rejection of Jesus was to fulfill prophecy, and two, the Jews were incapable of believing in Jesus because God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So the cause of their final unbelieving rejection of Jesus was that God sovereignly and judicially, as a judge, blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they could not believe. And if you're like me, you want to go, why on earth? Why did God do that? Why would God blind his elect people's eyes? I'll give you two reasons. First reason is because of judgment. Because the Jews would not believe, God judicially blinded them so that they could not believe. It was judgment on them. John's first quote, the one from Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is in the context of Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant who like a lamb was led away to be slaughtered for the sins of his people. The arm of the Lord refers to his mighty power And you'd think that everyone who saw Jesus' miracles, his mighty power, would believe, right? But John says the arm of the Lord must be what? Revealed. If God does not open our eyes to see, we will not see. 
And because God did not open their eyes to see that Jesus' miracles authenticate him as, as the Messiah, they could not see. And so since they were blinded, rather than their eyes opened and their hearts hardened, they could not believe. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many here just now think that is totally, totally unfair, unjust, harsh, and manipulative. How can God keep them accountable for their unbelief if he is the author of their unbelief? D.A. Carson says two very helpful things in this regard. The first thing he says is this. God's sovereignty in these matters is never pitted against human responsibility. Oh, that we may, may get that, church. God's sovereignty in these matters is never pitted against human responsibility. God's planning of the unbelief and the blindness and the hardness of Israel does not take away or contradict their personal responsibility or their guilt or their blameworthiness for their unbelief. Jesus said in, in John 3:18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. The unbelief of Israel was a guilty unbelief. Our unbelief is a guilty unbelief. Man's responsibility to believe in Jesus on the one hand and God's sovereignty over who believes on the other hand, church, are both true even though they are a mystery to us. And Charles Spurgeon said they are like two train tracks. God's, God's sovereignty over salvation, man's responsibility in salvation. And he says they're two train tracks that are parallel to one another. They never cross. They're never pitted against each other. And so what we cannot say is because God blinded their eyes, they were not guilty. They were guilty. Israel was guilty. Paul greatly struggled with this hardening, this unbelief, should I say, with this unbelief of the Jews. And so he dedicated three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Please go read them. Read them in one shot. Have in mind this unbelief of Israel. Go read Romans 9, 10, 11. He dedicated those three chapters to this. And so in Romans 9 and verse 14, this is what he says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part for, for hardening their hearts, blinding them? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And in Romans 11, verse 1, he says, has God rejected his people? By no means. Church, God's sovereign plan of salvation is perfect. And what you and I have to stand and guard against 
is to ever think that just because we do not fully understand this mystery of, of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, that somehow his plan is flawed, that it is wrong, that it is not the way I like it may be true, but that it is wrong or flawed, never. He is the almighty God of heaven and earth. And his plan for salvation is perfect. Here's the second helpful thing that Carson says. He says, God's judicial hardening is not the capricious or unreliable or impulsive manipulation of an arbitrary sovereign toward morally neutral or good people but rather his holy condemnation of guilty people who are condemned to the judgment that they themselves have chosen. You can hear those are Carson's words. God's judgment of Israel, church, we need to make sure we don't think that this is a bad thing happening to good people. Roman 12 verse 21, Paul says this, But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. They were a guilty people and his judgment of them was a holy and just judgment that they brought on themselves because they would not believe in the light that was among them. So the first reason why God blinded Israel was because of the judgment, judicial blinding. Second reason he's blinded them, second point of the message. God blinded them for the Gentiles' joyful inclusion in God's salvation. God blinded Israel for the Gentiles' joyful inclusion in God's salvation. Carson says that this blinding was a stage in God's strange work that brought his ultimate redemptive purposes to pass. What strange work? What ultimate redemptive purposes? As I said in the introduction, we are now starting with chapter 13, and everything is moving towards the final hours of Jesus' life and his death on the cross. What we need to see here is that this horrible yet magnificent ending to Jesus' life, namely his death on the cross, was owing to the unbelief of his people. Jesus was crucified because he came to his own and his own did not receive him. John 1 and verse 11. God sovereignly blinded his chosen people, Israel, so that they could not receive him, so that they would rebel against him, so that he could be crucified and on that cross offer salvation to the whole world. It's a mystery. Because he blinded Israel, they judged him, would not believe in him, 
sent him to the cross. And because he died on that cross, salvation became available for Gentiles. Unbelievable. John Piper says it like this. We need to remember that this was no accident of history. The reason Jesus came into the world was to die in the place of sinners, Mark 10, 45. It was in dying that he became the savior of the world, my savior and yours. The unbelief of Israel, Jesus' rejection by his own people was the path that God planned for him so that he would die in our place and make salvation possible for the whole world. How amazing. Listen how Paul says it. Romans 11, verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? Speaking of Israel, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation came to the Gentiles. Or Romans 11 verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Or Romans 11 verse 29, as regards the gospel, they, Israel, are enemies for your sake, Gentiles, so that you could believe. This is mystery. God hardened their hearts so that we could become part of his salvation plan. Israel's judicial blinding was God's mercy on us, church, so that we could attain a righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. This, this really overwhelms me, that God loved us, the Gentiles, outside his covenant, not part of his chosen people, so much that he would blind his elect people so that they would judge his son so that Christ could go to the cross and there die so that us could be included. It's an unbelievable mystery and grace from God. And now we see the result of this inclusion starting in verse 44. It says, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, whomever, not just the Jews, anyone, whomever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Friend, if you're here today and you hear this message 
or if you're tuned into the live stream, or if you listen to this on a recorded message later, hear this, that Jesus is calling you to believe in him for the salvation of your soul. This was the last time that Jesus publicly said these words. Believe in me. This may be the last time that you hear this call. And so I urge you to respond with faith today. Repenting of your sin and placing your trust in Christ. He made salvation possible for us through his cross. And then there's this stark warning in verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. My friend, here this morning, there is a last day coming. There's a last day coming. A day of judgment where each one of us will be judged based on our righteousness or our right standing before God. On that day, there will be no excuse or no plea of having lived a morally good life will be good enough. Nobody will stand there before God the Father and say, I lived a good life. I never murdered anyone. And it will be acceptable. The wrath of God will be on anyone who is found there not to have saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Revelations 20 and verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That day, that last day, the people who will inherit the kingdom of God and will receive eternal life with God will be those who have believed and obeyed Jesus. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Dear friend, you and I have responsibility. We must believe and obey. We must believe in the Son of God, believe that on that cross, he bore my sin, he paid my penalty, and if I believe in him, he will give me righteousness to have eternal life with the Father. And we must also obey. We must obey Jesus. First, we must obey his call to us to believe in him. And then we must obey his commandments. They're not a mystery. They're in this word. We can read them and we have to obey them. Obedience, church, is important. Oh, may God help us to grow in our obedience to his word. We cannot claim to love Jesus on the one hand, but we do not obey him. We cannot confess with our mouths that we love Jesus, but we willingly live in sin against his commandments. It's contrary. And so we have to obey 
And so the question is, how do we obey him? Sheer willpower? Nope. That's number one way to fail. It will not work. Because obedience, church, to Jesus is the fruit of loving Jesus. If we truly love Jesus, we will more and more surrender to him. We will more and more grow in our love for him because our desire will be to honor him, the lover of our souls. So if we want to obey him, what do we do? We ask him, Lord, will you reveal your glory to me more and more so that I can love you more and more? And as I do, will you help me to obey you more and more? That's how we obey, church, by loving Jesus. Friends, it's a great truth that we saw this morning. You and I, Gentiles, are included in God's eternal plan of salvation. We ought to rejoice in this mysterious truth by submitting our lives to him and by obeying him and by proclaiming him. And the only way we can do any of that is if God helps us to do that. So please pray with me and we'll ask God to do that for us. Well, Lord, thank you that we could approach your word this morning. This passage that is, does not from the outset seem easy or joyful, but this passage that we could see truly is joy for the Gentiles. Lord, thank you that you have included us in your plan of salvation. Thank you that you did not only pour out your love on your chosen nation, Israel, but that you have made salvation available to us. Oh God, we love you for that. Father, I pray for anybody here who who, um, listens to this and struggles with the mystery of this, that you will make it clear that you are an amazing God. Your plan of salvation is perfect, and that we will submit to that. Thank you for your care for us, Lord. I pray you will help us to be obedient and to love you more and more. We can only do that if you give us the grace, so we ask for that grace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.